pivotal quality of mind um, in terms of clearance and renewal is engaged receptivity engaged receptivity this becomes uh, available as we clear through some of the backlog busyness tiredness, fatigue, issues, complications and so forth so that content begins to thin a little or at least be able to be shelved so about action practice is about doing that so there's enough space to be able to just have this quality of engaged receptivity this is different from passive receptivity which is just things that are just stuffed into you receiving things in a kind of passive way like dumped on really or just flooded and the other so this is uh, or at the end of the day we just kind of go back home and switch on something again it's passive receptivity let something else come in which on something to look at, re-talk about, which can just flood with something perhaps more agreeable than what we were in flooded by before. But fundamentally, the quality of attention remains the same. Passive. Open but passive. It very much diminishes many, many features. One is our, our alertness and acuity diminishes because we're kind of just things are just flowing through our ability to discern what's appropriate and inappropriate is diminished because of the passivity so we can find ourselves being flooded with either stuff that's not particularly useful distracting or even downright harmful or or, um, addictive or wrong messages yeah, subliminal messages being planted because one's mind is kind of open but there's no engagement with the quality of attention a lot of advertising propaganda and so forth is of this nature a person just soaking up messages about what's fashionable, necessary, important interesting, delightful or horrible and whose fault it is and so on this is a very dangerous state, passive passivity. It gets like that because um, a lot of the rest of the time we're in overcharged directivity as we're doing a lot. Uh, doing stuff, doing stuff, doing stuff, doing stuff, doing stuff. So the action button of our minds and our lives are, are being pressed a lot of the time. Uh, and so one gets, gets kind of again rather numbed out because um, there isn't necessarily even the ability to clearly discern what to do and what not to do we just kind of roll along we get certain habits programs that we adopt automatics that we adopt because that's easiest you know this time we do this this time we do that drive this way do that do that do that do that get a kind of habitual routine 
which doesn't mean you don't have to really think about much, you don't have to choose very much, one just goes along with it. And this is kind of passive activity. <laughs> or it's not it's something like that, we're directive. But are we deciding what to be directed to? Or has it just become habitual? But because one's mind gets tired, then perhaps when we switch off, we just go to a kind of passive-receptive. So these are two strong trends in the daily life of your... post-industrial industrial post-industrial societies like this so it takes um, a bit of work really to determinedly stop actions uh, and also engage actions such as how to sit how to attend so definitely actions carefully building up a set of actions how to sit how to stand how to walk how to attend how to switch off and unplug it's kind of discipline that's required uh, yeah, in order to just clear some space space doesn't clear by itself It dims, the content dims, but it doesn't go away unless you clear it. Which means you have to have a certain engagement with that content, mental content, worries, doubts, issues, so forth, habits and so forth. Of course, what tends to happen is when uh, mental phenomena arise that are uh, long-term habitual uh, problems, dissonances, uh, painful stuff arises, or you know, and we might find ourselves just habitually, habitually engaging with it, but not, and so that sort of habitual drive, which generally doesn't work. Otherwise, it would we'd have solved it all by now. So, this disengagement is important. Disengagement from action. Yeah. but be aware that when one disengages from action doesn't mean you, we slump so it's not this is this kind of middle point of receptive but engaged with being receptive so it's not just disengaging from action and then whatever it's disengaging from action in a way that supports clear attention and uh, ability to establish deep attention and mindfulness, which is, you could say, an engaged receptivity. Got no particular drive to it, apart from to be attentive. Mm. It's not, it's got no particular, um, you know, aim other than that but that gives it its certain simple clarity to it and of course many things are said about mindfulness
And it's important to begin to cultivate practices like that. Quite simply, the ability to stop and not do for one minute. At the same time, sharpen attention. You're listening, attending, open. And then when the energy goes into that, by itself it tends to be removed from the content because content is often highly stimulating or disturbing or arousing or intriguing or fascinating. And the energy of it captures more energy. So we draw energy from those topics, not because we're averse to it, just withdrawing energy by magnifying the degree of, of attentiveness, but has no particular adopting content, rejecting content, analyzing content, you know, all the kind of responses or, or engagements we can make, just disengaged attention. And if we can cultivate this even in daily life, you know, five or six times a day, taking a minute just to stop. And sounds, thoughts, feelings, sensations, whirring of the minds, attention, attention, attention. What's important? training mm. certainly it's part of um, quite part of monastic culture particularly when you come to the when you come to the monastery the first thing you do is you go to where the the main shrine is you put your bag down take your shoes off sandals off and go bow three times to the shrine and just sit there and nobody talks to you or bothers with you and just that's it you just go there and sit there and it gives you time just to here I am and the shrine itself is always something it's timeless it wears a simple images Buddha maybe a disciple Arahant or a Bodhisattva or something candles incense you just sit there and it's not it's just there as a marker as a bookmark of attention, 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 pause, stop, attention, 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 stop, stop, just stop. Whatever it is, good, bad, important, just stop. Until you can feel that sense of the, the wheels in your mind have come out of engaged, you've kind of taken, you know, shifted out of gear. Okay. Right now, what's important? Well, maybe go meet meet somebody. Where do I go? You know, who's the senior monk to pay respects to, to introduce myself to? So that comes next. It's always but the shrines always the first thing because it doesn't talk to you. It doesn't particularly want anything. It's not. So it's just a marker of attention, 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 and. You know, you get to see these shrines and images and so forth, and they all say exactly the same thing. Attention. Attention. (laughs) 
Don't just do something, sit there. Then you feel the quality of attention itself. You can almost hear it or feel it in your body, like something just energy shifts from the doing to attentiveness, sharpens. And the content of the mind then shifts it. Tonally it shifts, it tends to dim or settle. I went to, uh, when I was in, living in England many years ago, I went to visit a <laughs> Korean monk who lived in, in London. So you go to the temple, you know, invited in, pay your respects, you go to see the monk, and he says, first the tea, and you sit there. Gets the tea out, gets the hot water, washes the bowl, sit there, puts the tea in, makes the tea, sit there, wait for a minute or two, minute and a half, silence. And then tea is offered, you drink the tea. So it's maybe, you've been sitting together for maybe five or ten minutes before anything is said. (laughs) And it's really, I think it's a really interesting, you know, so because we're communing in attention, we're actually sharing attentiveness and then what everyone's feeling, you know, busy or friendly or excited or interested or you've got lots of news, and they're just... No, the most important thing is the container. Get that right. That will moderate whatever needs to be done or said. And we respect the container. We respect the holding. We respect the mindfulness. As this is our... This is what we meet in. This is what we've you know, dedicate our lives to. And on retreat, it's, it's good to reflect on something like that. You know, go and have your meal, just sit down and pick up food and sit there, just take a minute or two. Notice if you want to eat something or whatever. Attention. Cup of tea, attention. First thing you take is attention. Mindfulness, establish that. Then we can move on. Today I was uh, recommending practice of aimless wandering. It's slightly, you know, tongue-in-cheek phrase. It's actually a process of um, (laughs) attention with no particular object, Uh, not settling on any particular object, sight, sound, thought, touch, taste, memory, mood, but 
open to all of them. So you just come moving through as you move around. So you move around in a place like this and you notice the movement of the grass, colour of the uh, tree, movement of an insect, interest arising in your mind. What's that? What's that? What's that? You notice that. And then attention wanes, drops away and you smell something and then you feel your body moving it's just this kind of ongoing unrolling of phenomena the aim is to, to keep it rolling along so it's often done walking but walking with no specific straight line direction just moving the body lightly sometimes you might not walk more than you know, 20 or 30 metres in 50 meters maybe in half an hour because you know you just you keep the movement subtle slow movement so the mind isn't allowed to um, lock onto anything but just to stay engaged to everything that passes arises and passes some of it beautiful some of it so what I'm noticing of course one's attention tends to go to the the interesting or the beautiful. Oh wow, look at that. You get that sense, you can feel your attention f- funnel down onto a particular object. That, oh, that's really interesting. Okay, just notice that. No, even be attentive to attention. Goes in. What happens when you go into something? You know, you see something, flower or bird or something. Oh, look at that. And what happens as you go into that certain. Uh, energy quality changes, becomes rather um, contracted or compacted, whereas before it was kind of fairly fluid, it, it forms, our attention forms, focus, focus is formed. What we're looking at, the qualities of it suffuse the mind. Noticing that, we're noticing. The ability to just disengage and it flow, maintaining a sense of lightness, openness. And it can be, you know, here it's of course this is rather beautiful, but um, I remember practicing this and giving. Instructing people with this at Amrawadi Monastery, uh, which is not especially, it's it's fine, you know, it's not very kind of flat buildings. And you'd go around, you suddenly see a a mop that you'd never really noticed before. Oh, look at that mop! Wow! And all the strands and the screws and the look at that mop, you know. You notice, look up in the raft, you see a spider's web. Gracious me. And you barely get out of the, out of the, out of the yard around the kitchen because you're just taking all this stuff in of how much is available when you <laughs> have attention. And it all becomes kind of quite luminous. You know, so you're noticing the, the angle of the brooms or the, the word written on the bucket, you know or something like that you never really noticed before and there's no push no drive the, the sense of the absence of that p- 
programmed aimed intention itself you notice that you attend to the quality of intention and when intention is not particularly going anywhere it's just uh-huh, 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 noting, noticing, noticing, noticing. It's an exercise to almost um, break out of the locked step of intention, which is do this and then that and then this and then make that and then that and what's next. And then get that and then that and then what about that and I'll remember that. It's definitely in a particular locked state. And attention, by and large, tends to engross. Of course, this is wonderful. Well, it's pleasant if it's pleasant. But we also get engrossed in painful things. Hypnotised by them. Almost as if we don't know how to step back. And the um, attitude can be, if I really get engrossed in it, I'll find out, I'll understand what it's all about. I'll get to the bottom of this. Uh, and this is often the um, assumption we make. We can go into this and find out what it's all about. Yeah. Mm, but it's, it's, you'll probably find it goes on and on and on. There's this and that, because it? it's all causal. And the sense of just disengaging takes one out of the causal web of the engaged process. Uh, seeing phenomena passing through. So in, this is um, a particular view can arise. Uh, view is called sampajanya, for knowing. It's it's um, it's the kind of view that arises from sustained mindfulness. It's a, a seeing, and what it sees is not it sees content, but it's not it's not interested in the content so much as the process of content. How what triggers this and how that happens and how it flows into that. It sees this mesmerizing uh, flow of thoughts and emotions just as something triggered that rolls on, reverberates. And what it does is it removes or it doesn't engage the notion of self because it doesn't engage the particular programs that self is built out of which is the program to acquire something could be understanding to get some understanding out of this it could be the program to control things make this different get it on top of it could be the program for gratification let me pull in something good out of this by not engaging in those particular programs then a sense of the self becomes also an empty openness. And this is really helpful for allowing, you know, unfinished business, past history, just to speak. And finish its conversation, and we step back.
kind of thing that comes up on retreats, isn't it? When we disengage from our going forward drives, getting things done drives, our busyness, we stop and then the reverberations of unfinished business, unfinished processes comes whirring in. And first of all, when we resist it, or think, I don't want this in my meditation period, I should have dealt with this or this this again, or why haven't I got past this? And these kind of responses occur. Instead, if we've been able to build these functions of attention, deep attention and mindfulness, there's a possibility of being able to stay open and let that which is probably not fully spoken speak mm-hmm. so it's a ventilation process um, some topics of course have spoken quite a bit already I imagine but they may not have said their last piece about vulnerability or about a feeling of having allowed oneself to be used or taken over or something like that the kind of sense of a bit of aversion uh, uh, to oneself for for uh, you know, having even been uh, misused it's often the case that people have been abused by others they haven't necessarily done anything wrong they've been abused by others still feel bad about themselves but you didn't do anything. But as if somehow the heart feels, you failed to protect me. You didn't protect me. Yeah, you weren't attentive. And it's got no voice for it. But sometimes that voice itself has to be heard. So often we do leave our hearts behind our busyness and our actions. This is why clearance, go back. And even pieces that had no voice, sometimes you experience traumatic or semi-traumatic experiences that never really had a voice. They just have a certain contracted feel or numbness or agitation. Engaged, engaged receptivity. What to be said here? What is it? What's need, what? Need, what does it need to say? What is in its own language, its own feeling experience? This is um, sati sampajanya, mindfulness and full knowing. It's also the case that this quality of engaged receptivity is a basis for um, one of these um, heart states, the Apamana, the measureless, or the Brahmavihara, which is mudita, mudita, the ability to appreciate, uh, to be gladdened by, gladdened by the good, the skillful, 
either in oneself or in others, wherever it arises, just to engage with and receive the quality of the good. And it certainly helps to keep one's perspectives more level. You know, certainly there's the unfortunate, we sort of call them the bookmarks of, you know, bruised histories and so forth. But that doesn't even though they can be quite painful or uncomfortable, it's still only a, only a portion of one's experience. And so we, Mudita is this increasing ability to appreciate you know, the non-violence when that's there. And these are qualities we don't really notice because they don't, they don't strike us. They dwell in the the non-violence, the harmlessness, uh, the honesty, the gestures of friendship and goodwill that one sees. And one of the joys of a retreat is to to open up to that you know, place that is a sanctuary of um, morality, virtue, cooperation, spaciousness, welcoming. You know, and you tune into those qualities. And retreat, set, retreat places and places of retreat have this mudita capacity for them. It's a capacity that we perhaps we we don't remember or, or, or make much of. I remember one of the early retreats I was teaching at Amrawadi, had a, a man who was on the retreat. It was his first retreat. He'd never done a retreat before. I don't think he'd done much meditation before. And it was sort of like a 10-day retreat, so fairly full on. And so I asked him, we have an interview, asked him how he was doing. And he, he just he started sitting there, and he was sitting there, and he just started to kind of, mm-hmm. a tear rolling out of his eyes. He's looking down, I was thinking, oh my goodness, he's, you know, what's happened for him? And he said, you know, every day when I get home from work, I'm so tired. I normally just get to open a can of beans or a shovel, you know, a TV dinner under a, under a burner, warm it up, and he eat this food. He said, that's what I normally do, because I'm too tired to do anything else. I can't even bother really clean the house very much. And he said, and I come here, and they prepare this lovely food every day, when there's flowers on the table, <laughs> and it's all set up nicely, and they, put, they offer this lovely food. <laughs> Every day, uh, and, was, and then, then you know, people smile at you. It <laughs> <laughs> he he, he just blew him away mm. to just be in that situation. Mm. You know, it, I don't think he really understood much about <laughs> Buddhism or meditation, <laughs> just to go there and, and feel the sense of, you know, this is for you. Just. You don't, no, you don't have to, don't ask for it. You don't have to thank me for it. It's for you. No, it's even for you. Just, oh. Whereas we could look at it and think, what? What's this? I, don't, I want some of those. There's no bean sprouts today. Yeah. What happened to the chutney? 
I've run out of chutney. Uh, place in grumble, grumble, grumble. <laughs> we could look at that, or we could think, wow, food. Food, we're being offered food. <laughs> nice, clean. You know, not something out of a can. Oh, just eat on that level, and it's being given to me. You don't have to make it. Certainly, as a, as a monk, this is of course a daily, a daily practice, and you know. But one still has to train oneself because, you know, the food is prepared. People bring food; they bring it, and they put the food in the kitchen, or they prepare a meal, and they offer it. And then you know, you can how we go. It's what time is it? Or oh, eleven fifteen? It's time for the meal. Go for the meal. Get the meal. Eat the meal, and then go back to doing what you're doing. Let's always make a point is that before we go from we stop. We always have it in silence, stop. And then they say the food is ready, bell is rung, stop. Turn to the shrine, get a stick of incense. This is because of the Buddha, (laughs) I'm getting this meal. (laughs) And maybe this ingratitude with appreciation for the generosity of sustaining our lives. Dedicate incense, bows me times, walk silently, take, go past the food line in silence, take just what you need, no more. Because when something is presented with integrity and care, and people have given so much to do it, you don't want to mess it up with casualness or greed or I want this, I don't want that, you just take don't look at it, don't talk about it don't start picking it, just soften, take it it'll get you through the day tomorrow's another day, this will get you through the day that's all you need to know as far as that goes and it's been given, so you focus on that receiving it, you go back to the hall we sit and we chant blessing and a mordana. Now anything one does repeatedly, of course, can be a ritual, become ritualized and we just numb out to it. So it's something you've got to keep refreshing. And stop. Stop without you know, with no agenda at all experience the quality of attention where your attention is moving fast from this to that or the other or it's slightly fuzzy and just wait until the attention sharpens up when there's no particular drive forward or backwards or to discover anything or make anything happen the attention will become crisp by itself not the content but the attention Um, that's what we're looking for And then skillful thing is to give the attention first of all to something, some quality that you that is good. <laughs> you know, rather than problem. Give some quality something that's good. Like uh, another person's generosity or courtesy or you know, a beautiful thought you have in your own mind or an outbreath, whatever. Let's give attention to something that will actually 
bring in a helpful quality. Mudita, taking the time then to turn it over and savour it, enjoy it. Appreciation. This is a process that um, is encouraged um, as daily recollection to pick up, give attention, stop, pause, wait and deliberately give attention to one's precepts, or one's integrity or the skillful deeds of others. So you've got something that you just linger in and take it in Till you get first of all the idea, then the perception, which touches the heart. It touches the heart. And then the tonality of that, how it, when the heart is touched, there's a certain shimmer that occurs. Gladness, or clarity, or straightness, or something that firms you up. Yeah. yeah. This is about not gossiping right Got Firm. so all these different tones and the, some of the preset tones have got a certain firmness to them and gossiping and it's good to do that and you feel a certain clarity and cleanness and these tonalities of heart can arise you linger on them, they they affect your body. You get definitely uh, like a, a grounding effect from qualities of restraint, where you've definitely resisted something. You get a certain grounding firmness. It gives you some strength. Very important to have strength, not strength of power and strength of aggression, but strength of grounded stability. You know, and dignity and self-respect and this is so important so important to to keep harvesting these supportive qualities uh, this is the process called you know accumulating punya merit well, it means that something you've done good and you take it, you harvest it and you store it and you resonate with it till it becomes you know, established in your energetic system you know. so your body you feel a certain strengthening, clarifying and, and self-respect very important to gain to have that because particularly even if we've been negatively affected by others without ourselves doing wrong there can be a strange sense of you know I am no respect and of course some behaviours such an addictive behaviour breaks that that capacity to have self-respect self-respect is a a steady container 
in it, you know. And when that container is broken by the abuse of others or by your own uh, foolishness or carelessness, then that container has to be re-established. And this is how you do it. You can't go back to the past. You can't re- you know, change the past, but you gain it now. You determine and everything you refrain from builds that strength. Everything that's nourishing uh, gives rise to growth. So some qualities such as precepts are about creating a firmness, a certain sense of dignity. And then qualities such as kindness and generosity and so forth, and the acts of service that we do for others, these are like a, a, a warming, enriching, nourishing effect, where the heart is gladdened. Yeah. And these definitely the Buddha recommends this. This is something that one should cultivate. food say so, well if you cultivate like this then you know whatever else you're not going to keep going down the, the slope to feeling useless hopeless messed up you know can't do it and of course that can be a slope that the mind slides down I, I'm this way nothing I can do about it so you maybe try to do something about it, but trying to do something about it isn't necessarily the right action. <laughs> yeah. The action of doing something about it is first of all to build and the ability to be receptive, attentive, take in the good that can help to repair a heart that's been bent or broken or somewhere or another and build it up This is the uh, cultivation of uh, mudita, uh, gladdening the heart, gladdening the mind. This is because um, you know the amount of karma, uh, uh, often confused or discordant with uh, that we've generated. So the Buddha said, if you want to clean all that lot up. You're going to be here forever. Because, <laughs> you know, when you look at the big picture, Buddhist big picture is this is lifetimes. So if you're going to try and clean all that up, you're going to be here forever. And of course, the famous instances of the serial killer, Angulimala, who in the Buddhist scriptures killed 999 people. So you could say he had some difficult moments. <laughs> and a few wrong views uh, and uh, he was supposed to kill a thousand to pay off a debt 
And the story goes that he would, to kill a thousand to gain their thumbs, they were supposed to collect their thumbs. And he was on his 999th, and he's looking around, and he saw two people. One was his mother, and the other was the Buddha. Well, he, when he saw his mother, first of all, and the Buddha thought, if he kills his mother, that's really it. You know, killing your mother is deep, deep evil. You know. Uh, so, well, it's, well I, I'll get in the way. So at least he'll try and kill me, so I'll distract him. So the Buddha walked in, in, in Gulimana's sight line and Gulimana, okay, I'll go and kill this guy. He's running after him. And he's running after the Buddha. The Buddha just walked along really slowly. And for some reason, he couldn't catch him. Because the Buddha was doing some kind of psychic thing. And so he's running after the Buddha. The Buddha says, stop, stop, stop. Buddha says, I have stopped. And he's saying, what? what do you mean you've stopped? I've stopped killing. What about you? <laughs> and uh, some reason or another, uh, struck him. said, you realise the amount of lifetimes you can have to spend because of these actions. And uh, so Buddha gave some teachings, practice, training, and the story goes that he he became enlightened. He wasn't the most popular person because whenever people saw me throw rocks at him, but um, he said, "Okay, that's what I have to put up with, I guess." But uh, the good news for him was he actually managed to transcend all his bad karma. Hmm, you wonder how? Because the quality of attention doesn't have to be absorbed in moods, emotions, histories, so forth. Nor does it have to suppress them. Nor does it have to work them out. It has to learn to disengage with clarity. Yeah. Receptivity, this is caused by that, this is the result of it, this is unskillful, disagreeable, harmful. Yeah. And to acknowledge these actions that have arisen, arose through causes, they're not self. This lifting of attention from the causal field, from engagement in the causal field. So they said that capacity is how come we can get enlightened it's that capacity that makes enlightenment possible this is the Buddhist perspective so engaged receptivity it can be something as simple as just moving slowly through a day, through an hour noticing what's going on, being touched by impressions, internal, external. Did you realise there's really, there's no, there's no internal or external because it's all that which arises. Right? You know, it can be a thought, an emotion, a sight, a sound. Where, where's the division? 
between internal and external, they all arise. So where's this self thing? You know, where's the boundary? Where is it all inside the body? No. Is it outside the body? No. It's, the body arises. Bodily phenomena arise in attention. The body arises, bodily phenomena, touches, experiences, vibrations, energies arise within the awareness, which is engaged attention. Sights and sounds arise within that. There's no hard and fast boundary between the two. The boundary, whenever a boundary is established, then this is where I'm in this and that's out there. And this is where the whole problem or the whole issue of reactivity occurs. This is me, that's that, so how am I with that? Well, this is my thoughts. Not very good thoughts about that. Let me get where these self problems, problem of self arises. That lifting from that paradigm to what actually occurs. To what actually occurs. We're not dismissing ourselves. We're just not participating in this compulsive construction of it. Because if you disengage, well, where's the where's the boundary? And that takes the pressure off. A whole lot of pressure comes off. When we're able, the mind is able to see things. This is skillful, this is unskillful. Uh, Linger on the skillful. We draw energy from the unskillful. So then from that disengaging, then select what is appropriate. This is, you know, direction towards samadhi, concentration or consolidation of mind, happy state. But even more important than that is that ability to let it arise and pass. This is then something that if you begin to, you know, get a feeling for this and access it in quite simple daily processes. Uh, you're getting in touch with that lightness and clarity that is the essence of meditation meditation is almost exactly just this hand mudra you know, the open palm holding nothing maybe the fingertip and the thumb touching just for the sake of sensitivity but inside the hand there's nothing except attention.